I invite you to pray with me. Father, open our hearts to hear from your word today that we may know that in Jesus Christ, because of your grace, uh, we can have a reset. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm certain most of you in here are young enough to have grown up playing video games. Uh, I remember the first video games in the late 1970s, Pac-Man. Uh, right? Pac-Man and, and, and there were a few others. Asteroids. They were awesome. Um, you know how you're playing a video game and, and nowadays you can save the game. And if you mess up or make a bad choice, you can just go back and start over. I'm sure that most of us wish that we had a reset button for life. Uh, most of you or some of you perhaps are young enough that, that you haven't experienced this yet. But as I'm now in the, heading toward the middle of my life, I'm realizing that those moments that I wish I could have a do-over are starting to stack up. Uh, I look back and I see uh, mistakes made, uh, choices poorly delivered, sins committed, relationships broken, and I wish I could redo things. Uh, but that isn't how real life works, is it? We can't really just go back and undo it. Unless, of course, we can. Uh, unless, of course... Uh, in Jesus Christ, there is a way to have a set, a reset, a way to have a, a do-over. And see, I think that's what we see tonight in this passage about Peter. But we have to set the stage a little bit, don't we? Peter and the disciples, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, have been told to go on into Galilee and wait for him there. And so they're in Galilee. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee by a, by a different name. They've returned home. And I'm picturing these fishermen sitting around waiting for Jesus. And all of a sudden, Peter, bored, says, I'm going fishing. I find that passage really funny. I'm going fishing. And everyone else says, I'm going too. And so they just get up and they go fishing. Maybe they needed some money. I mean, they were fishermen. This was their job. Maybe they were just bored. Maybe Jesus just hadn't shown up and they didn't have anything else to do with themselves. So they go out on the lake just before dawn, the best time to fish. And they go out on the Sea of Galilee, and there's nothing happening. They don't catch anything. And a guy shows up on the shore whom they don't recognize. They're about 100 yards out, and he calls to them, put your nets down on the right side. And they realize, of course, later that this is Jesus. It isn't unusual in this fishing culture to have a spotter on the shore looking for disturbances in the water. Uh, something you may not be able to see from the boat. A few years ago, I went uh, deep sea fishing with my brother-in-law who, who owns a boat, and we were about 20 miles out, and, um, and we didn't catch a lot of fish, and you would think there were fish in the ocean. Like You would think this would be an easy thing. There's a lot of water, therefore there must be a lot of fish. We caught two that day. I happened to catch a little barracuda, which is always a little intimidating when you pull him out of the water and you see those teeth and you've got to deal with him. And he wants to deal with you. Um, uh, but, but anyway, we're out on this like glassy day. And the way you spot fish is you look for disturbances on the water. You look for birds diving in. You look for things floating on the top. You look for dolphins. You look for other things moving around. And that's likely going to tell you where there's some fish are. So this isn't unusual for there to be a spotter on the shore calling out places for them to go. Uh, and so they do what he says, drop it to the other side. Now, it's not like he says, go 100 yards this way. He just says, move, you know, 15 feet to the other side or less and, and drop your nets in. And they pull out uh, a huge load of fish. What does the, the scripture tell us? 153. Uh, the number escapes me all of a sudden. I should probably remember that. 
they pull out this huge load of fish. And I marvel at the precision of the report, right? Uh, John is a fisherman. Like, this is a big deal. Nobody catches this many fish. This is not just a fish story. It's not like he said, we caught millions. They were huge. No, he says they were 153. They counted them. Uh, Yes. Anyway, Uh, they counted the fish. And they knew it was a big catch. And then they realized something just happened here. This isn't supposed to happen. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, says it's the Lord. And Peter, being Peter, puts all his clothes back on and jumps in the water. Okay. Now, many of you, I think, have been out in the water. I don't know how many of you have tried to swim 100 yards with all of your clothes on. It's not easy to do. So he's out there, he's fishing, he probably doesn't have a shirt on, he's got his, his, his garments kind of rolled up, what they call girding your loins, kind of rolled up, and he's working. He grabs his outer garments, he jumps in the water like an eager puppy dog, and then has to swim 100 yards. And I'm picturing this sort of chaotic scene, because you've got Peter, all of his clothes on, trying to swim to shore. You've got the other disciples with this huge load of fish that they can't actually get into the boat, trying to get to shore. And everyone is scrambling to get to shore. Now, I don't know who got there first. I have a feeling they got there about the same time. And the only thing the scripture says is that when they arrived, they found Jesus there and he already had a meal prepared. There's a little charcoal grill going on there. And he's got fish and he's got bread. And he's prepared a meal for them. And he says, come and eat with me. This miracle, and I want you to remember this for a little later in the sermon, this miracle is hearkening back to a couple of different things in Jesus' ministry. The first is that it recalls the time when Jesus called them to be fishers of men. Uh, I will give you an abundant harvest of, of souls to follow me. And so Jesus, the, the one who wants to make them fishers of men, reminds them that he can provide abundantly and gives them more fish than they've ever seen in a net. And then you've got the fish and the bread laid out for them there. And it reminds us of the time that Jesus fed the multitudes with fish and with bread. And he's setting the stage that kind of lays in the backdrop of this, of this story that Jesus is the one that provides. Jesus is the one who will enable them to do all that he's telling them to do. And he's reminding them of these things that they should already know, but perhaps they've forgotten and so they're all sitting around the campfire. And the, the passage doesn't tell us what they were saying during the meal, does it? It says, after the meal, Jesus asked a question. So I imagine this is kind of an awkward meal. They're sitting there, they're eating. Peter knows that he has betrayed Jesus. He knows that things have been a little bit rough. It's one of those moments where everyone knows there's like this elephant in the room, but nobody wants to say anything. And I'm sure it was fairly uncomfortable. And if we know anything about Jesus, we know that he sort of thrives in those uncomfortable situations. He likes it when people are just a little bit nervous. And and I suspect that Peter is just a little bit nervous. But it's also important to note that Peter was happy to see Jesus. This is a guy who loved his Lord. No matter his faults, Peter's faults, no matter the mistakes he's made, uh, he has not in his heart abandoned Jesus. But he has had a failing that needs to be addressed. And so there's a restoration uh, that needs to be uh, undertaken. And Jesus starts it off by asking a really odd question. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? Now, I'm going to be totally honest with you tonight. That little phrase, do you love me more than these, is really ambiguous. Uh, nobody really knows the reference of the these. What is he talking about? There are at least three options, uh, and uh, one of them, I, the last one I'm going to tell you, I think is the best one. But it could be that Jesus is asking him, do you love me more than these fishing things, the, the nets and the, the boats and the, the trade of fishing? Do you love me more than this? Do you love being a fisher of men more than you love being a fisherman? He's testing Peter, perhaps. Where do your loyalties lie? I don't know that that's the best option, but it's a possibility. He's also asking potentially, Peter, do you love me more than you love these men, the other men that are with him? Because he abandoned Jesus, didn't he? He, he ran out uh, on Jesus. Do you love me more than these men? But he's, he's still there with his guys, his boys, his fishing buddies, right? He's still there with them. It's possible that Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these men? A third option, and this is the option I've taken with this sermon, and I fully admit that I could be wrong. The third option is that when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Is that what he's actually asking is, do you love me more than these men love me? And that's an important question, if in fact that is what Jesus is asking. Because he is calling back to a conversation they had on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And a version of it is found in Matthew 26. And I'm going to read it to you. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. You see, I think Jesus is about to hit the reset button on Peter. And Peter doesn't completely realize it. I think Jesus is calling his attention back to that event where Peter, rather braggadociously and rather naively, and, and rather dumbly says, even if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. He is essentially saying, I love you more than they do. And I think that's why Jesus is asking him this question here. Do you love me more than these? And Peter's response is yes. <laughs> yes, he says, um, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Part of the focus here is not so much on the yes, but on the part that you know. See, Peter, Peter seems to be wanting to call Jesus' attention to all of the things that they experienced together and all the things that were said when they were together, seeming to ignore the three denials that happened when they are apart from one another. Where three times when Jesus is being interrogated, a young girl Uh, in the courtyard of the high priest says, aren't you one of those guys with Jesus? And three times Peter denies him. And three times he is a traitor to his Lord. I think Peter is conveniently forgetting that that happened. Trying to remind Jesus, or trying to pretend at least, that everything is just fine. Jesus asked the question a second time. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. You see, I think Peter is playing a little game with himself where he simply conveniently forgets the unfortunate truths of a situation. A bit like when you and your friends or you and your spouse get in a significant argument and you say something hurtful, something you regret. But instead of apologizing for it or addressing it, you just sort of pretend it didn't happen. Everything's fine. We're doing fine. It's all fine. And nothing ever actually gets addressed. It may be, it may be uh, that Peter feels like he has gone so far down a road that his betrayal is so significant that he can't come back from it. And so he's going to just pretend like it didn't happen and hope that Jesus doesn't know that it happened. So yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, I have a friend, a very good friend, uh, who is in the midst of leaving his wife and children for another woman. He uh, is the father of several kids with his wife. The woman he is uh, now living with is also married and has three kids. And uh, he's left his family. And he is operating. He and I have had significant conversations about this. Um, He is operating as if he has blinders, as if all he has to do is keep charging forward, pretending that it isn't really a problem, pretending that his children are resilient, that there will be no problems, that they'll all be fine, and pretending that he can do whatever he wants and everyone else will just get used to it and we'll all just go on with our lives like it's no big deal. You see, when you go down that road of denial, at some point you stop being able to see anything. You get so lost in the dark. And it may be that Peter is on his way down that road of denial. He doesn't want to acknowledge what is happening. And Jesus is just not going to let that go. Uh, He is not going to let Peter live in this place of denial because Jesus has a goal for Peter and it isn't punishment. It's restoration. And Jesus has a desire for you. And it isn't punishment. It's a restoration. He wants to bring you back. But you see, we don't always believe that, do we? And we, we tend to want to see God as the, as the judgmental God, as the angry and wrathful God, which Scripture does say a lot of that. But Scripture also tells us that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Scripture also tells us uh, that God wants for all to be saved and He wants to call you back. And it may be that you've had a bad night of decision-making or a bad week, or a few bad months, and you've done some things that you regret, and you're not sure you can ever come back from it. Well, we're about to see in this passage that you can come back. But you see, we, we don't really believe it's possible. You see, there's a Facebook page related to my friend and his family. Uh, some people who claiming to be Christians and friends of the family have a prayer page. And really uh, what they're doing is collecting information. One of my other friends was contacted by the administrator of this prayer page asking for details that they could post for prayer. Well, if you go to this Facebook page, what you find out is there's a whole lot of angry people condemning my friend to hell. I'm not exaggerating. You see, you see, we don't really deep down believe that God is a forgiving God because deep down we're not particularly forgiving. And so we make God in our own image. But God is not us. And we are not God. And that is a good thing for us. And He's calling Peter back. 
And he's calling you back out of the darkness. But Peter is kind of living in this state of, oh, Lord, you know, you know, I love you. And he's pretending that everything's just going to be fine. But then we come to the third question. The third question. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The third time, Jesus hits the mark with Peter. Because Peter knows now what Jesus is saying. He's saying to him, you failed me three times. Three times you failed me. You said you were going to be faithful. You said you were going to be loyal. And three times you failed. And three times I've forgiven you. Feed my sheep. Jesus' forgiveness is complete. There's nothing else that needs to be done. He goes back to the beginning. He doesn't just deal with the failure. He deals with the source of the failure, which was Peter's claim that he was the most loyal and the most loving. Uh, His arrogant claim that he and his own strength and his own power would stay faithful to his Lord. Jesus goes back to that, starts there and hits the reset button and lets Peter in a very sort of spiritual and symbolic way, relive the entire thing until he brings him to the point where Peter breaks. And he realizes, I don't really love you the way I should. And, this, and it's reflected in his answer. He says, Lord, he doesn't say, Lord, you know I love you simply. He says this, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter is like so many people in Scripture that we see who say, like the, like the man whose, whose daughter was, was healed, he said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Peter believes Peter loves, Peter has faith, but Peter is flawed. And Peter is just like you and just like me. He loves his Lord, but he has had three denials and he has had three restorations. And Peter, who fell from his place as the leader among the disciples, is put back where he is supposed to be, feeding and caring for the sheep. You see, this chastened Peter This chastened Peter uh, was not forgotten. The chastened Peter uh, was forgiven. The chastened Peter was brought back. And he had a chance, because of the grace of God that was already given to him, he had a chance to start fresh. And he gets back everything that he lost. And he actually gets back more. Three times Jesus says to him, Feed my little lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times he gives him instruction. Three times he says to him, the life that you said you wanted to give to me, you're going to sacrifice that life by showing me that you love me and feeding my sheep. You see, Peter had this grandiose idea that he was going to be like super exemplar Christian. I'm going to be like the best that you've ever seen. I'm going to be the best at everything. I'm going to make Israel great again. Um, <laughs> yes, you got it. Um, that, that's who Peter often is. He's that guy. But he means well. He's sincere. He actually thinks he's going to do it. And then he falls flat. And it's only after he falls flat that Jesus is actually able to use him. Look what he says. Verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That idea, you will stretch out your hands. There's plenty of evidence to point to the fact that that was an early Christian way of referring to crucifixion. And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. And that's how he died. This could be an exact prophecy. At the very least, it tells us that Peter, who claimed that he wanted to die with Jesus and then failed, is now being told by Jesus, I am going to give you the honor of dying for me. And it's probably more than you bargained for. But you're going to have that honor of dying for me. But you see, Peter, he can only become what God wants him to be, what Jesus has for him. When he comes to that point where he realizes he really isn't going to be all of those things he claimed to be or claimed that he wanted to be apart from the work of Christ in his life. He will not do it on his own. And Jesus then follows up with a simple command. Follow me. You see. He is known by God. He says multiple times, Lord, you know, you know, he is known by God. His flaws are known. His sins are known. His heart is known and his desire is known. He is known and he is loved despite his failures. You are known and you are loved despite your failures. And when Jesus says to him, follow me, he isn't telling uh, Peter to go back to his old ways of braggadocious claims and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and follow me. What he's saying is just rest in the fact that I am the Messiah who has provided And that calls us back to the miracle of the fish. I provided you with a miraculous load of fish. I brought you and I fed you just like I fed the multitudes. I have always been here. I have always taken care of you. I have never abandoned you. And all you must do now is rest in that and follow me. And I will take care of it. And you will, in fact, be the sort of Christian that others look to. Not because you are great, but because you're going to die. Because you're going to die. And so I want to leave you with just this simple thought. That you may think you've gone so far down that dark road that there's no coming back. You may think that's true. And you may think, hey, in for a penny, in for a pound. I've already done this thing. I've already done that thing. I might as well just do it all. Who cares? You know, my friend who's left his family, he and I have had, as I said, a few serious conversations. And in the midst of me being very blunt and direct with him, I I told him, and I tell the same thing to you, you can always come back from whatever it is you've stepped into. But if you keep going down that road, it will get blacker and it will get blacker. And you will lose hope. And though Christ is there for you, your vision will be blurred. And it will seem like you have no way back. And you do. And so Peter reminds us that we can have a reset button. And Jesus is there saying, come back and we'll reset this thing. Come be where I am and walk with me and I'll make it right. I, Jesus, will make it right for you. So that's where I want to encourage you tonight. If you find yourself in a dark place, it is not too late. It is not too late. To rest in Christ. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.